podcast world what's up back at you with another episode of this life ain't for everybody coming to you by our friends at the north american whitetail championships 14 regions across north america and canada 300 dollars to enter all archery once you enter for 300 dollars at nawtc.com you're going to receive a prize package that's valued at already over 300 dollars with a gator coolers tumbler cup a bunch of stuff from tacticam broadheads peeps a bunch of things to accessorize your bow get in it guys it's safe it's ethical let's keep archery hunting for those big whitetail buck deer at the forefront of america let's get together and have a great competition at the 2019 north american whitetail championships brought to you by our title sponsor michael waddell and the bone collector crew as well as wicked outfitters in the great state of kansas kansas is not just a flyover state y'all it's a state that offers unbelievable outdoor opportunities so get there become part of the 2019 north american whitetail championship spread your wings and fly 14 regions across america and canada get in there and qualify to win that fifty thousand dollars cash money today's episode is also brought to you by our good friends at elk ridge knives they keep us sharp all throughout the season whether we're butchering processing or in the kitchen with our culinary you know, our culinary-esque part of our life where we're always trying to prepare that wild game for our friends and family. It's also brought to you by Deemer Box and Rigid Lights. Check all of our sponsors out at thislifeaintforeverybody.com or thefowllife.com. Support the partners that support us. Rigid Lights are unbelievable. They light up our nighttime, our daytime, our early mornings when we're setting up decoys. And when we're setting up those decoys, we have all of our tunes, Jack, playing on that Deemer box, whether we're listening to Guns N' Roses or a little hip hop in the morning or a podcast like this one right here, we listen to it through our Deemer box. So check them out at Deemer box, D-E-M-E-R box.com. James Deemer has been on the podcast before. His product is second to none. A lot of new innovation coming through the Deemer family. Can't wait for you all to see it. So thank you to our partners. Today's guests are Matt Pendola from Pendola training and my brother clint belding he is a has a master's degree in physical therapy we are going to talk a lot today about fitness training um injury how to prevent injury what we face as we get a little bit more towards that middle age part of life as we creep in to our mid-30s our early 40s our 50s it happens to everybody guys no matter if you're 18 or 25 or 30 right now trust me that clock does not stop you're going to be there someday i never thought i would be but i'm here and i love it it's a it's a great time to be alive in america America right now with all of the the studies that are being done and these two today have a lot of intelligence and a lot of know-how when it comes to enlightening people on how to take care of their bodies whether it's through fitness training nutrition how to stay healthy how to how to keep your bones and your muscles in shape guys to prevent that injury matt pendola what's up my man Oh, man, I'm just uh, happy to be here again. I want to thank everybody for all their support. We've been getting amazing feedback about our conversations, and I really like how this is going. I really appreciate how everybody really pays attention, focuses on the conversations we're having about getting themselves to a better version of you. And, you know, Chad, it's kind of exciting. It seems like you have more and more sponsors that are coming in. and, And of course, that's the audience that allows that to happen. So we're really grateful. Yeah, and I think it's important to hit on that, that we uh, are getting that ingestion that people like the diversity in the topics. And one of their favorite topics that we get feedback on is taking care of ourselves, because no matter if 
if you hunt or you don't hunt, you play baseball or you don't play baseball, whether you're just a nine to five mom and dad that wants to hang out with their kids in the backyard and be able to keep up with them through their adolescence and through their teenage years. We had a little party over here for Mother's Day the other day, and both the Clint sons were here, 15 and 14, both eight pack abs, both world-class athletes, in my opinion, one a swimmer, one a baller in baseball, and they're in the pool swimming and they look great. And I'm like, we're keeping up with them. We're swimming underwater with them and we're trying to have fun with them all throughout the day. And whether you want to take it into your professional life or just be the best parent you can be, it's a very important topic. So it's, it's, it's something that everybody likes to hear and needs to hear and wants to get better at. And Clint, you're here. You've been on the podcast before. And a little bit about Clint is he did go to UNLV after high school. A um, lot of study, a lot of training in physical therapy. He understands the body. He, I've always told people my brother is a magician with his hands. If I have a, a pulled groin, he works on my armpit and my pulled groin is gone. So he understands all of the connection points in the human body and he understands what it takes to get rid of that pain by the use of his hands without, you know, before you have to go in under the knife or under the blade and get cut in surgery. A lot of times somebody like Clint or some of the other physical therapists that you have heard on this show, like Mr. John, who you've heard on our, on our max 40 podcast, they absolutely know what they're doing when it comes to taking care of the body. So Clint, welcome back. What do you got going on? Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, busy, busy with the kids. You're just talking about Chance and Caden. Uh, kind of excited matt and i just kind of hooked back up uh just recently i'm gonna get caden into uh the program he's been swimming hard for i think since he's seven years old and uh he, he needs to cross train a little bit so I, we've been kind of woken to that a little bit lately he does 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 a ton of swimming and um his body looks great but he's starting to have some aches and pains so it's opened my eyes up a little bit you know you're so busy with work and taking care of everything and then all of a sudden you know wake up one day and your kid's sitting there and he's starting to open open up to you about all the problems he's having so he's having some shoulder issues and uh, a little bit of knee issues and stuff so i've been spending a lot of time with with him and and chance uh chance just got done with jv baseball so that's kind of been my life lately outside of work and works good works busy uh, family's busy, but we're having a good time and I'm um, looking forward to getting Caden in, in the Matt's place here pretty quick. So, end of the month. I have two questions to start off. Not really questions, but comments as well as both of you answer on, he's talking about kids that are 13, 14, 15 years old. They're talking about getting into a structured training program that you guys offer through the gym that he's highly qualified to go in there and look at it and say, yeah, he's already had one son go through it and he's knows that it's good for that. How do you know is there an age that's too early to get that serious about weightlifting, training, fitness, um, all of the different movements that you do, um, deadlifts, uh, anything that we do in that gym, with it, whether it's a medicine ball or just a straight crunch or sit-up, is it, is it ever too early to get started? Or what is the age that a kid should really start looking at that kind of a program? Or maybe something not as structured, but really getting into some kind of training? Yeah, I'm, my daughter's seven, and I started her training. So... I, I think that it's important that kids have fun. Obviously, they need to have fun with what they're doing. And it can't be, look, you're not going to train them for an hour. That's silly. I also believe that they have to start with body weight and um, really get good at their archetypes and, um, and really get their stability, really make sure they're getting rooted through their glutes in that stability and um, understanding how to get their bodies in 
the correct positions, being able to breathe through those positions. And you just slow the tempo down to make body weight exercises harder, for example, or you progress to things like clapping push-ups, right? Or burpees, things like that, where they can throw in some power there. But, you know, really with the sports these kids are doing, you think about it, they are jumping, they are running, they are essentially playing in their sports as they should be, but they are putting a lot of loading on their bodies in those positions when they're playing their sports. So I think that if they're not doing something to strengthen their positions and work on their rooting, work on their proprioception, those kind of things, then, you know, that's a miss, right? We, we need to make sure that we're being proactive here. So they are growing kids, obviously, though. So I don't believe in really loading them up or anything like that. Like that so um, I'll take at least for example Jim Zakeo which I know you know Jim uh, you guys know Jim he brought his son Dom in yesterday and he's a great kid Jim said hey man I, I I'm weird about this but I don't want him uh, really lifting heavy weights and things like that right now and, and Dom's young I said you don't have to worry about that we've got six months where we're really working more on body weight more you know maybe med ball work maybe some bands but uh, the, the resistance that these kids are under, they need to be able to control their position. So there's no, defeated, there's no courage in defeated mechanics. And so I do know where people have their concerns there. A lot of times these kids for the first time are putting weight on their back and they have no idea um, how to get into the right archetype or the right positioning. And of course, they're just um, collapsing under that, uh, that added uh, stress. And that's, that's not the way to do it. And they do have growth plates. You have to be looking and concerned about those things. But, you know, as far as them shoving in their growth plates, things like that, I think that with smart training, you're only going to reinforce their positions and prevent those growth plates from, uh, you know, from, from being, um, you know, affected. So, but Clint, love to hear your. Yeah, my, my input there, and I have an example, just a recent example, my neighbor across the street, but in my, in my world, you don't really, very oft, very seldom you get to experience that end of the spectrum. Typically, young kids and really even, uh, you know, post-adolescence and young adults are getting them when they're symptomatic. You get them when they've been having issues for a while, they've gone into the GP, they've gone into the orthopedic, and they've gotten a referral to physical therapy. That's the typical paradigm that we're working in. So we kind of are putting fires out initially, and then hopefully you can backtrack and then start building some of the things that you're talking about, uh, which is kind of fun, you know, because you're, you're, your average kid, what you were talking about, I mean, the average kid out there, they're getting into a sport long before they really even learned how to move. They learn how to throw, they learn how to catch, they learn how to run, all of the specific things that go to sports, and eventually they are going to have symptoms. It's just a matter of if they grow out of them or not, but my, my recent example, my neighbor across the street uh, knocked on my door on a weekend, and uh, older daughter's been playing softball, she's a catcher, uh, having shoulder problems, has been having shoulder problems for six months. I thought, oh, I got a physical therapist who lives across the street, I'll ask him a few questions. She's got, a, she's got a bad shoulder. She potentially has significant labral damage, cartilage damage in the shoulder. Um, very common in young girls that play a lot of softball, a lot of overhead athletes in general. But uh, So we're, we have to kind of backtrack. I showed her some rotator cuff, scapular, stabilizer type of exercises, but she's at the point where she needs to get checked out. Um, so yeah, they're, they're dealing with that. And it's just, uh, it's, it's fun to be a part of the, the medical puzzle. Um, because like I said, eventually all kids are going to have some type of symptom that's related to their sport. 
it's bred out of abnormal or bad movement patterns. Um, I deal with probably baseball because of my kids, my older kid a lot more, but, uh, you know, throwing mechanics and throwing technique, um, breeds a lot of issues as they get into adolescence. And I think a big part of that, at least my take on it is, is when they do start to hit puberty. It seems that when that body starts to change, when those growth plates do start to, to move and start to close up, that's a lot of times when there are symptoms, younger kids do have some aches and pains, but they generally tend to get better. Um, but yeah, once those growth plates start to change, then they start to have. And what age, what age is that common for growth plates to start to change? Or is it, is it girls as early as 10 boys, usually that 12 to 13 ages seems to be when that starts to hit and they start to have nagging problems. that gets the attention of the parents or the coach, and then they start seeking help and advice. Um, so you, they are fun patiency cause they are going to get better. You hope that you can catch them early enough before they have damage, before they actually have structural damage. Um, Another quick example, I had a girl come into the clinic a few months back, longtime softball player, really strong, buff girl. I mean, she was, you'd look at her and you wouldn't think she could hurt herself, but she did. She hurt herself in weights, uh, doing an, a, a, a rollout in the wrong way and, and jammed her shoulder, continued to play softball, um, showed up in the clinic. I knew something was wrong with her and she was in an insurance situation where she wasn't really worked up real well. And, uh, you know, just all the tests that you do, you just kind of, you get, you get a feeling that something's not right here. And I took the time while she was in the, in the clinic to get her MRI. She had an MRI hanging out there. Imagine you have an MRI and three months later, she still hasn't had a doctor read it to her. She just got kind of got, got lost in the system. And it's, it's actually a fairly common thing that happens. And, uh, so yeah, I, th- I thought it was crucial that while she was there, get that, uh, get that MRI result. And I, I sat down in the room with her and I read it on the way in there and she had major structural damage, major labral tears. Think of the labrum as a clock, yeah, from 12 all the way back to 12 around the, the, the circle of the joint. And uh, she had tearing of about 70% of that. And this is a 15-year-old girl in her throwing shoulder. And she continued to play. She continued to lift weights, but she just had the dead arm thing going and didn't know what to do about it. Uh, so I sat down with her. I thought it was an interesting close of the story because I, I thought I was going to devastate her life. you know. And so I sat down and I said, I don't have the greatest news in the world. And I read through and I said, you have, actually have quite a bit of damage in your shoulder. And this smile and this jubilation came on her face of like, really, there's something wrong? She had been dealing with this for so long and had been ignored and had people tell her that, I ah, just, you know, ice it, take some ibuprofen, it'll go away. And she was actually happy that she needed surgery. I mean, this is a surgical situation. So this is a girl that, you know, within the next month she was set up with the surgeon and was under the knife. So, um, you know, not maybe the best outcome, but she'll she'll come out of that stronger. It's like a labrum or a rotator cuff surgery is going to, or will it be an entire reconstruction of the entire capsule and everything in the shoulder? You think? My thought on her, she wasn't. I know what you're getting at. Your your typical injury when you're talking about labrums is an instability. People that do they Bolt do rolls have a in traumatic, and out yeah, they have a traumatic a traumatic instability that they uh, actually you you know that experience. You can actually injure your shoulder and have it pop out of joint, dislocate, and then you can damage your labrum, and then it can become a structural problem where you continue to to dislocate a re- recurrent dislocator, and that's what you ended up being back in your what young twenties, late late teens. Yeah, but um. In her case, it's repetitive trauma. She was just wearing that tissue out over time. Is it going to create instability? Yes. She wasn't a dislocator. She wasn't a subluxer. Subluxer is just basically it kind of comes out of joint and pops back in. She didn't have any of those complaints. She didn't have any of those symptoms. 
which is kind of interesting because it should, she should have, right? She should have, but I think she was so structurally strong with her major muscles that she was able to avoid, uh, you know, that type of instability, but she had pain, which is, which is a tough issue to deal with. If she actually probably would have had subluxation, she probably would have stopped playing because she wouldn't have been able to do it. And she would have maybe pushed the issue of getting help earlier. But, um, you know, she had the dynamic of being strong in some ways, and that actually probably covered up some of her actual So you're saying, you're saying in, like, my case, like, I would reach for the soap in the shower and my shoulder would roll out of socket, and I'd have to hit the wall kind of like Mel Gibson in the, mm-hmm. in the Lethal Weapon movies. Mm-hmm. I'd roll, I'd reach for a blanket on the couch this way, and it would pop out. So Blakey performs that. They try to go in arthroscopically. They end up cutting me, putting screws in there, redo the capsule. The, the labrum and the rotator cuff. That was the big thing with you. You had such a traumatic dislocation that it wasn't just a labral tear. You actually structurally changed your capsule. So the capsule is basically the, the tissue. It's somewhat a, like, uh, like a ligamentous tissue, like, uh, 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 like fibrous tissue, like your fascia. So it just basically surrounds the joint and, and holds the joint in place and gives it congruity, right? Gives right. it gives it stability. You had the type of injury and the way that your shoulder went out of joint that you you stretch that tissue, and that's what we call inert tissue. It, it's not it's not a dynamic tissue that can that can be stretched and then it can kind of go back in place. Once it's stretched, it's not really going to be able to heal itself other than scar tissue. But you continue to dislocate, you tend to continue to sublux, essentially that tissue is faulty and it's not gonna be able to hold your shoulder and joint. And that's what you were dealing with. That's recurrent dislocation. So not only did you have labral damage from the initial trauma and the subsequent d- dislocations, you had a capsular problem that needed to structurally be fixed. And so that's you're what they saying- did. They shifted your capsule, tightened it up and- So you're, been, but you're saying that this girl was so strong that her shoulder was not popping in and out of socket, making it to where there, like, there wasn't enough awareness, like, oh, there is a problem, there needs to be surgery because it's coming in and out of socket so many times. Where mine was, she was strong enough to keep it in, or her muscles were strong enough to keep it in socket to where they just thought it might be uh, time to go get an ice bag or a heating pad or something. Yeah, so it, 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 if you actually break it down to that point, it turns into a tough injury because she's able to mask it. She's able to get away with it over a period of time and it actually created more damage. So where I'm going with that then is then you started this conversation by saying your 14 year old Caden, who is a stud uh, swimmer, who you wouldn't think a swimmer would develop problem. I wouldn't anyway. I would think that swimming would be the best for shoulders and the ease through the water. And he's having some issues. He comes to you. Mm-hmm. So you're saying that by your, by your looking at him and your synopsis of what's going on with maybe your diagnosis of what's going on with Caden, you go to Matt and you say, you think that this is a perfect time for him to get in because Matt's style of training, rolling out the different exercises that Matt's going to do to strengthen that and, and get that better. He can, Matt and, 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 and Pendola training can prevent surgery or prevent further injury because Caden wasn't quite at that point of injury through your, through your diagnosis. Right. Caden's at the inflammation point of, he's he, what we would call maybe impingement or rotator cuff tendonitis. And we throw a lot of different terms around, but they essentially mean the same thing. Tendonitis can turn into a tear it, it tissue will weaken over time if you keep stressing it, it it gets to a point where it it will be affected negatively and there actually will be damage so right now caden's having an impingement that'd be if you went and saw the orthopedic or the physical therapist you know impingement would be his his diagnosis potentially rotator cuff tendonitis those essentially mean the same thing um what does it have to do with yeah kind of everything in moderation right swimming is great <laughs> in a lot of ways but what they they do do some dry land we could get into 
you know, different programs and how they cross-train and, and what's appropriate and what's wrong. But uh, he, has, he has some positional things that's going on with his body. And again, he, I was describing earlier about those young athletes that start into a sport before they really know how to move. And fast forward five, six, seven years later of five to six days a week of practice, two hours a day in the pool, so that's 10 to 12 hours of swimming in the week. I don't care who you are, at some point in time, you're gonna start having some issues. And he's a kid, he's a, he's a student, he sits in school all day, his postural habits are terrible. He has some issues with those types of things. Um, so yeah, I think, I think if you, you catch it early enough, hopefully you can prevent what I'm describing with this young, young woman as, a, as an example. So, so now you'll, you'll get him in the car and go over to Pendola and you two will sit there and you'll listen to what Clint is, again, he's going to lay all this out of what he thinks it is. And then you, through all of your studies, Pendola, you're going to go, okay, well, it's not going to be as much overhead. It's going to be more of this and a little bit of that. And, and what I've learned through what, you know, being around both of you a lot is that I'll get a pinched nerve in my shoulder to where before I'd be out a couple of days, be like, oh man. And now I get on, whether it's a couple balls that are taped together and roll out like you guys have taught me, the rolling out has prevented me from staying down. I mean, I'll get rid of a, an injury. I mean, as little as a headache, you can get rid of a headache through rolling out in the right pressure points from what I've learned from you guys. So is that kind of where Clinton is going to be with you when he brings Caden into where if he would have started training with you at Mia's age seven, he could have maybe prevented some of this by getting a little bit more stability in his shoulder and the socket and the capsule and all that. Or is it, is it the perfect time for him to start training and he, that can be prevented from any further injury? Yeah. The answer I think is it depends a lot of it comes down to what the coach is doing with the athlete. Is it too much too soon? Sometimes even with uh, the best intentions, we can get an athlete strong and stable, but uh, if they go from zero to a hundred in volume, then that makes it really next to impossible to prevent these things from going on. And that's quite honestly a point of friction for me with a lot of coaches. I, I feel like they are just giving their athletes too much too soon, especially at a young age. These athletes need a progressive overload. It needs to be in a smart, progressive way. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but I just don't think that a lot of coaches are doing their due diligence there. I think that uh, too many coaches are thinking about W's. They look at a talented kid or a kid who's willing to work their butts off and you know, I'm all for that, that's great, but you can work smart and you can work hard, right? You don't need to just you know grind this kid into ground because they're willing to do it. And I think all too often you have kids, especially younger kids, they're not gonna say no. They're not gonna say no to their coach. I just had a kid who uh, ended up tearing apart his uh, ankle. Basically, you know, he's, um, he's out for uh, six weeks or so. And uh, after he rolled his ankle in a soccer game, his coach had him go back in. And it's because he's a scorer. It's because he can create the W. And look what that cost the kid. And even for parents out there listening, I know a lot of parents don't want to be that parent, that helicopter parent and things like, there's a balance. But I said to the mom, why didn't you say he had to stay out? Because his ankle was already twice the size when they put him back in. You know, why is that stuff going on? You know, and I'd love to hear, um, you know, Clint's um, perspective on that too, because 
I tell you, I don't, I have some coaches that I'm very close with that we have great relationships and there's an understanding there. There's a, there's a, there's a level there of, of balance and respect for what each person can do for that athlete, that we're part of a culture to help that athlete become the best version of them. But so many coaches don't even want to talk to Clint. They don't want to talk to me. They want to just do what they're doing and, you know, do what I said, do what I say, do what I do, or excuse me, they don't do it a lot of times themselves, but, you know, do what I say. But when you ask them, okay, but writing this program up, can you explain to me what the point was of this program? right? What is the point of your energy system development plan? They can't explain it to you. All right. And so then they just say, just do it. Right. And, and I think that's where sometimes uh, the internet can be a bad thing where these coaches are pulling a lot of programs off of, you know, I'm going to give them a program like Michael Phelps did in the pool. It might be a little watered down, but it's still uh, pun not intended there, but it is still way too much for that young kid to do. Right. So uh, in his uh, case, they're talking about, um, you know, the, the shoulder. Well, you know, there's some external rotators that have to be worked and you have to pay attention to those external rotators. Do we want a lot of overhead friction because we need strong lats? There's a lot smarter ways to get at that. So then they throw in dry land training where you're doing a lot of you know, overhead work and you're just creating even now more friction where now because that shoulder is rolled forward to begin with, every single rep is wrong essentially, right? So where are we getting to by doing these movements, right? So, you know, Clint already nailed it though. These kids a lot of times haven't really learned these positions before they start doing them. Sure. I think it's an interesting topic before you talk, Clint, is coaching in America. Because it's easy to be that parent to sit back and go, let my kid get in the game more or you're not coaching right. But then you're like, well, he's a volunteer and he's out here on his own time and it's a double-edged sword. Then you get to the next level of coaching a high school junior varsity baseball coach goes in for an interview. He had a successful high school career, might've played a year of junior college, two summers, a summer ball says, I want to be a coach goes in interviews. He's well-spoken, clean cut, good in the community. You're hired, has no background in fitness training, the bus, the muscular, the skeletal part of the body. And now you're sitting there going, well, the, the trainer at the high school is not going to be out there every practice i've went and watched kids do something as simple as air squats and their feet are turned in their knees are 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 inverted and they're in their you know they're doing everything wrong that in 10 years that's going to affect them if they keep doing that but nobody on that field even the coach is going to sit there and go your form's wrong because he's not studied in that but he's making 1300 for the entire season that he's got to split between two more assistant coaches so they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't the tr- so it's almost like that's a whole other topic of coaching and how to become qualified to look at it because I I'm not going to be a helicopter parent but I was watching some things in the last couple days that I want to talk to you off of microphone to where I'm like if Matt was here he would never go for this but why why is it allowed at certain levels that kids can get into these positions to where they're potentially damaging their stuff their muscles or their tendons or their ligaments or their joint whatever it is so that's a that's a, a touchy topic because coaches are out there for the benefit of the kids in a way but they also have a responsibility here. Like you can't let that kid go back in there with a sprained ankle. Well, we want to win. No winning at 14 years old. Doesn't mean shit. We got to, we got to, don't get me wrong. We got to, you know, teach that being a champion is it. And there's a, there's certain levels of that. And this isn't a participation award, but it's not that important. 
at 14 years old, you're not going to do any achieve anything except going under the knife or getting a worse injury. So it's kind of a touchy subject. But Clint, you go ahead and talk on on that coaching part. Of no, it. there's a few things there. I, yeah, because I've had the opportunity to coach baseball, and you get a little crossover there, and you get to interact with parents in a different way. Um, communication, right? Communication in your relationships, your personal relationships, and that's probably at the end of the day what's lacking a lot of the times. There is. The, the honesty of being able to sit down as a coach slash parent, typically that that's a whole other ball of wax because a lot of young young uh, coaches are parents, uh, which is a whole other dynamic. But, uh, you know, sitting down as a coach, a parent, an athlete, and having a realistic conversation. I've had that conversation with with patients of mine um, acting in that role as a, as a professional, but also having that experience of exactly – you know, you won that game and on that sprint, grade two sprained ankle, um, but you were out for the rest of the season. Or, you know, what's more important, playing in this game, potentially hurting yourself more, or being able to play your senior year? You know, having an opportunity to play college, fill in the blank sport. So I've had that conversation a lot of times. I think that that sometimes gets through to the kids. I think because the kids, kids are going to get out there no matter what, and they want to win. The, the parents want to win. The coaches want to win. Um, but if you can give some, give them some perspective on what they're actually trying to accomplish playing this sport, uh, that can, that, that can be a useful technique that's worked from time to time. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it is really what drives most of the people involved there are, is winning is having success and damned if you, you know, can put that injury on the sideline for a little while. So, uh, it's, 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 it's going to be an ongoing problem that we're going to have in, uh, the other aspect of it that I think as we were talking there, I think the dynamic of the last 15 going on now 20 years is really the complete paradigm shift of sports to year-round yeah. activities. Yeah. And you now, with going back to Caden, not to, not to harp on Caden too much, but I could use many other examples, but swimming is a demanding sport. Baseball is a demanding sport on specific joints. Um, really, any sport really is if you, if you get down to it. Um, but uh, there's no breaks. You know, there's no breaks from that particular sport. And if you don't play that sport year-round, you're not going to make the team. You're not going to make that next level. So you're forced into it as a parent. Yeah, at least you think you are. And uh, th I think that breeds a lot of what's been going on. I think 30 years ago we were dealing with tendonitis and these same types of issues. It's just exponentially bigger now. And I really do feel that that's a big underlying dynamic is the push that we got to be one sport athletes. So you're saying it. that parents actually get this, this, this thought process, this ideology in their brain that high school season just ended. But if, if Joey doesn't get on the summer ball team, that coach is going to notice that. And the kid, the, same that, and the kid that outperforms or the kid that performs this summer is going to come in and replace chance on the, on the, whether it's junior varsity or varsity next year. Yep. And that's, that never happened when we were coming up. And it, it, it it's almost a, a double-edged sword again, is that you got athletes that are playing year round, getting more at bats, seeing more pitches, becoming more proficient with baseball. But at the same time, the injuries are escalated because there's more wear and tear on those certain joints. Yep. And the, the, what I've always heard is that the most unnatural thing for a human being to do with their arm is to throw a baseball, you know, time after time again, it almost is like a girl softball pitcher is a lot more natural motion. And that's why they can pitch six games in a week, whereas a baseball pitcher can only pitch once every five days or six days. Right. So it's like I, I get what you're saying, but that parent's sitting there going, 
man, my son's tired, his shoulder is worn down, but if he doesn't get on that bus and get to Sacramento for this weekend series in June, he's not going to make the team next year when it comes to, to high school tryouts. And that's, that's a, another weird, a weird thought process that everybody has to face. Yeah, I mean, first of all, if anybody is a coach out there, I was that coach at one time. I, I was that coach. Uh, when I was younger, I was hot-shotting and... I just happened to be the guy who was able to, I was fit and I was able to set records for hot shotting, okay, for the fitness test. So they said, hey, you're in charge of fitness. And I'm embarrassed at what I put those guys through. When I think back about it now, I'm, I'm completely embarrassed. But, you know, I didn't know any better. I was just somebody who was fit. And, they, and kind of to your point, they said, okay, then this is what you're doing. We trust you. Go ahead and, and train the, the crew now, right? And of course, over the years, I've gotten the education to understand what I really was, was doing to those guys, you know. And um, ultimately, I think that that's where communication is so important. The coaches I mentioned before that are communicating with me, they understand that this is not their profession. This is not what they do to, to look at biomechanics and to look at how these athletes need to be proactive, right? And um, even, even to the point where coaches will uh, start talking to me about, well, geez, you know, do you think that they need a little bit of time off? Do you think that it would be better if they took uh, six, nine weeks, even three months, and they took some time off? Will they come back stronger in, in this sport? So one uh, example I love is um, this girl, Summer, that... I work with and coach and last year she was completely burnt out. She was a, a prodigy early on. She was fast and her, her whole family is like a swim, swimming legacy a little bit. So she has older sisters and brother that really, really good swimmers and swimming college and, and so on and so forth. And so she had a lot of pressure on her there as well to specialize and she loves swimming, but um, ultimately we took three months off. And her coaches still to this day don't want to talk to me, right? But she made that decision. I didn't make the decision for her. We, we sat down and, and, and she was at the point where she was crying in her goggles in the pool. Just could not, you know, she was in so much pain, couldn't enjoy it anymore. And so taking those three months off, though, the first thing I said is, okay, the first three weeks, I want you to give me three weeks where we're going to start working on these issues, okay? But we need to get the inflammation down. We need to, I need to hear that your pain is, is right now it's at a seven. We need to get it down below a three at least, okay? And then from there, I want you to start playing in the pool. And only when, I'm not telling you when that first day in the pool is. I want it to get to the point with you where you just miss the pool so much. You just want to be in the water. And then play. Play in the pool. Get a feel for the water again. Don't do a workout. Just do what you feel like doing, but don't allow yourself to get back into pain. So, you know, if you start to feel that pain coming on, you're done for that day, right? And long story short is over that three-month period, man, she got to the point where she got really, really strong. She packed on some good muscle that she really needed for the first time in a long time, by the way, calories, right? She was able to use those calories to grow muscle. She's burning through so many calories every day. There's no way that her body could be anabolic, no way that her body could actually uh, put on muscle, right? So that process, that three-month process, I'll skip ahead now to last weekend. I watched her race 
And, and I started tearing up. I really did because um, she, uh, she's worked so hard to come back from all of this. But to your point about you can't miss any time, otherwise you might not make the varsity team. I, I respectfully disagree in, in a sense that I think that, um, yeah, she had to keep a feel for the water. Yes, right? But I think getting away from all that what was not only good for her physically, but good for her mentally, put fire back in her belly. She won her event for regionals. She's going on a state this weekend. She qualified for state in three other events as well. She took two seconds off her 100-meter um, free, which is a lot of time, and she was second overall. She was a, you know, a tenth of a second off of first. And so the point is that she's swimming better than ever now. So, you know, not that I understand your point to that about how the, I feel like these clubs though, they make these athletes feel that way, that if you don't do this year round, you're going to fall behind. But, you know, there are some things you can do for skill set that's smart and effective year round, but you don't need to be grinding it out and competing year round. I think that's the difference. Like baseball players, like you're talking about pitchers. Well, pitchers that have the longest shelf life and had the biggest careers, they were multi-sport athletes across the board pretty much in, in high school, right? They, they, were, they were from Sunbelt states usually, right? They were from farming communities a lot of times, right? Uh, in other words, they played basketball, they played baseball, they farmed, right? So they're very functional and all year round for, for what they were doing there. So I, I don't think that's a coincidence that these guys end up becoming professional pitchers. Did they throw the ball with dad year round? Yeah, probably, but dad's not making them throw X amount of pitches either. Right. So that's I think that's where sometimes there's that misunderstanding about uh, progressive overload or we use these kind of terms. You do have to keep working on a skill set if you want to get better. But uh, last thing I'll say is you look on YouTube, you look on Instagram, everything's about the grind. Right. I'm going to go 100 percent. I'm going to crush it every day. I'm going to push this every day. Bullshit. Bullshit. The best in the world know how to rest because work plus rest equals success. They do not grind every day. It's a complete myth. What is what is on that same topic? What I get to thinking about is a sport that doesn't have a lot of like impact of like a, a football player taking hands to the head or or a boxer and getting hit a lot or MMA or something. But I understand injury comes when you start to get those kind of of really high contact sports but gymnastics is one sport that i look at when i go into the gym with the listen i see all these little girls and boys that are you know on the trampoline and jumping in the foam pit and having fun and all this stuff and then you see gymnasts that are in their early 20s that can barely walk and it's almost like that same thing is like gymnastics is like you don't get hit you don't i mean i know there's it's high impact you're jumping you're flipping you're landing on your knees your joints and your and all of that stuff and then uh, you hear it a lot if you really sit down and talk to gymnasts or watch them walk the coaches in these places it's almost like they got to be on crutches and i know that's a little bit of an exaggeration but that's one sport or one athletic activity that whether you go all the way to the Olympic team or not, which only a, sh a small minuscule percentage of them do, it seems like once they get in their late teens or their mid twenties, they're shot, their ligaments, their knees. It's like, but if they don't stay up with the Joneses and complete that entire realm of gym, gymnast hair, you know, all the way through every level, they have no chance of ever getting to Bella Caroli's team. 
And it's like all these coaches got all of these banners up on all their walls, all right? <clears throat> and it says championship teams this year, championship this team. You go into your gym and it's just about the athlete. This athlete, it doesn't say like one this, 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 and this. But all of these things, these kids are looking up on the wall and they're like, this team has won the world or the national championships for 11 years in a row. And it's like that mindset is put into these gymnasts and the next thing you know, they can barely walk. Is that fair to say that gymnastics, that you've seen a lot of that to where it just beats them up going into their teens and 20s? I think it's the, the ultimate sport. I, mean, I would say it really about all sports. I mean, very few people play at an elite level. I mean, Nolan Ryan was 40. He was a young man. My point is he was a young man. I mean, most sports are, they're young people. It's a young people activity, but gymnast, gymnastics is the penultimate of that sport. I think that's the poster child for sure. Of what? You so, have to be young? Yeah. A, a, a grizzled veteran. I think Dominique Dawes was 22 or something like that. Made a, made an Olympic team, which was unheard of. I think she was a, she was an old veteran at 22. So uh, point being that the, you know, that sport, like a few other sports, uh, rodeo comes to mind for some reason. They don't do that for too long either because the head injuries, I imagine. But uh, uh, they're geared towards a very short period of time in, a, in an athlete's life to try to get to the pinnacle of the sport and damn the consequences. You know, and yeah, I see uh, that gymnastics is an interesting one in in regards to physical therapy. When you see gymnasts, you see them when they're thirty late twenties, early thirties, and they're having kids. These, these women are having kids and they have all kinds of pain and it does, it relates back to gymnastics. And now you have the hormonal changes that go with pregnancy and, and, uh, they're really, really tough people to treat, uh, because there's some things that are ingrained all the way back to that sport that are never going to leave their body. Those are, those are permanent changes. Uh, the arthritic changes in the joints are, are really, really, uh, advanced at those ages. But, uh, I do see those are probably the, the most common gymnasts that I've seen are, are young mothers. Actually, many times actually pregnant. I've treated, treated pregnant women that, are, that, are, that have a history why, of gymnastics. Why, why is and, pregnancy coming up? Is, is it because their hips are so out of whack by that time that it's, it's messing with that part of their body? Is that why you bring up pregnancy? I, it's just something that popped in my head. Hormones primarily. Yeah, I mean, the, it, it has to do with the joints. There's, there's a common hormone that, that has to do with pregnancy. Relaxing. It's, it's, you want... And the third tri trimester, the tissue needs to stretch out, right? So it needs to be able to, to accommodate the, the third trimester and then eventually the birth of the baby. So if there are itises that have been going on, they just they seem to hit a point where they're just miserable. You can't get comfortable. And, and then postpartum, there's, there's a lot of ongoing issues there with the core, with the pelvic floor, and, and the trauma of the actual pregnancy. So um, again, I, I, I use the term a lot of times, those are fun patients to treat. Um, they're miserable, um, but they can get better, you know, and that's, that's, that's the funnest part about it. at least what I've done over the years is to, to have that window in time where you actually get to help somebody, um, that's, that's having, that's having issues. Cause like I said, usually people don't show up in the PT clinic for a little ache and pain. They're, they're well down the line of dysfunction and layers of dysfunction and pain on top of pain and, and unraveling that 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 uh, ball of yarn and you know unpacking that puzzle is is a it's a tough thing but it's it's intriguing at the so that brings time. us so, right to right where we wanted to yeah, get to today is, is dysfunction is we're talking about injury going into a 20 or 25 year old athlete which is an extreme case with gymnasts because that Clint, like clint said the peak of a gymnast career is you know like i think some 
Olympians have been like 13, 14, 15, right? I mean, you got to be, okay, so what we're talking about here though is preventing injury as we go through life to where every day you have the chance or the opportunity to injure yourself if you're just walking, if you step off a sidewalk wrong, if you're carrying groceries and you lose your balance and you got to catch yourself wrong, you can pull muscles, you can dislocate, you can turn an ankle, you can sprain an ankle, you can break a wrist. We're trying to get our bodies in a position, right? This is the goal, is to get our bodies in a comfortable position to where we're strong, with good posture, and we stay injury-free through our max 40s and, and getting into our 50s and our 60s and our 70s to where now here we go bringing up you know who again Les Nesbitt 78 walking up 11,000 foot mountains killing animals and then walking down with that animal on his back at 78 years old I get it it doesn't happen with everybody at that age but Stoker's 69 and he's jump roping like Mike Tyson Scotty is 50, 55 or 56 and he is getting stronger every day in the gym and when he started Scotty was not a very strong person if I had to guess he's strong now he works his ass off so not everybody can do what your clients do what your clientele gets to do at pandola training but that's the theme is how do we get our bodies in a position not to be laid up on a heating pad when we're 45 or 50 years old yeah i think the theme here to me is is the juice worth the squeeze right so you interviewed joey gilbert and he's talking about how he got his nose shattered right and they Call it what the Valentine's Day massacre, all the blood. He said he lost 10 pounds of fluid in that fight. And you think Joey is, you think uh, if we told him in that fight, stop, he's going to stop. He's not going to stop. If for him, he ended up having concussion issues, vagus nerve issues, endocrine issues, things like that that we had to deal with afterwards, after his career, obviously. And um, he's able to get back to full health. He's healthy and strong again. But uh, with the gymnasts, you know, peaking early, they have to peak early. So is the juice worth the squeeze? Do you have a real chance at making the Olympics? Are you okay with dealing with this pain afterwards in your life because you went to the Olympics, maybe even meddled there? That's the, that's the question for that end of the spectrum. But I think most people, obviously, there's the juice is not worth the squeeze when they're going to be dealing with pain for the rest of their lives. And they were just trying to, you know, do a sport more for fun, for, you know, being a part of a team, um, you know, or just for their own health and fitness or their own health and wellness. Then of course, you know, that's where they have to understand that if something's hurting, why am I going to keep running right now? Right. Why don't, why don't I do something about this before it becomes a chronic issue? Right. And my body's trying to tell me something. I, I tried to uh, qualify Olympic standard times in the 10,000 meters. I ran on a fractured femur. The juice was worth the squeeze then to me, but I had a lot of rehab to do after that. Right. Um, why would somebody put themselves through that when they're not trying to make an Olympic team or something like that? And, and that's where you see a lot of people who are in pain. And they don't really uh, understand, I think, sometimes that this pain is very preventable. They can be proactive, but there's no courage in defeated mechanics. That's Bobby McGee's phrase, and I say it all the time, because what, what are you getting out of finishing out the rest of that run when you have constant shin pain? What's, what are you getting out of that, 
right? Let's, let's go ahead and put that focus onto, you know, more preventative measures, rehab, prehab. Um, let's be proactive because our bodies, we only get one body. And I think that's the main theme here is just really thinking about the long term. And you want to be that less Nesbitt type one day that can do all those things. Well, take care of your body because you're going to have that same, those same joints when you're 80 years old. And so is the juice worth the squeeze? And you're ta- you just said something there that I'm writing down right now is you only get one body. So you, you, it goes right back to, I like the ju- the juice and the squeeze is what is the best, what, what is the best thing to do though, Matt? Let's, whether you're an athlete, well, you say we're all athletes, which I truly believe that, um, a lot of athletes play and they're done at a certain time. And then they might go into a different phase of life where I had enough gym time. I used to do that all the time. I don't need that anymore. I don't need to run. I don't need to exercise. That's bullshit to me. I don't care if you look at somebody like uh, the Greco-Roman wrestler that ended up being on that big reality show on TV that was <laughs> the biggest loser. He comes in there, and he's 200 pounds overweight and considered obese, and he was an Olympic gold medalist in Greco-Roman wrestling. After his wrestling career is over, that mindset sets in. Oh, I'm done with shit. My knees are hurt. I'm, I don't want to ever get on a treadmill again. I saw enough of that. I used to train 8, 10 hours a day. It's easy to say that, and then you get eight years down the road, and you're like, man, there's no going back now. You know what it's going to take to restart this freaking this motor to get back into somewhat of shape? So that, that's my whole thing is like, why ever get there? Because with that is going to start coming injuries and uncomfortable situations to where you can't walk up a mountain. You can't run with your kids nine to five. You can't swim with your kids. You can't carry a big load of groceries and not, you know, and, and keep your balance if you might step on a marble or something. That's what your training does is, well, I'm 44 and I just don't want to, if I strip, I want to be able to secure myself and not injure myself or fall down and break my wrist. And it's evident every day. I see, I see different things every day that my training through your processes and through listening to Clint and what he's studied is helps me get through life in a better way to where I'm never in pain anymore. I really not. I don't ever go to Clint. I used to go to Clint and be like, man, my neck is this. And I'm like that. And now I'm taking those preventative message, you know, doing what we call protocol. But here's the deal with protocol is that protocol is something that has to be done, right? That is the way that it's done. Protocol. T- today's protocol is this. Well, if I leave the gym and I don't consistently stay up with my protocol, then it's my fault if I start getting hurt or having injuries. You've taught us that mindset. It doesn't fall back on you. So if you go into my room, you'll see my protocol. And I stick to it. And if I didn't, I wouldn't feel right. And I think it's about that consistency and getting yourself to the point to where you feel worse if you don't do it or mentally. Like I hate myself if I miss the gym. If I miss a workout on a Monday or Thursday, I can't stand myself. I hate that. And I like that about me. I don't sit there and dwell on it and ruin the rest of my day. But I'm just like, gosh, damn it. I wish I wasn't on the road right now. I want to be in there because no matter what I do in a hotel gym is never gets me to the point of where I get on the Monday and Thursdays in the gym, right? In, in your gym. So the protocol part of it though is easy. I can at least go into that hotel gym and do my rollouts, do my, the things that I'm supposed to do that you tell me, Hey, work on this. It's going to take care of the pain. 
So I got a little pain in my left lat. I've really been concentrating on that because I learned that over two years ago through you. It's things to do. I learned that over two years ago when I start to get that left lat pain, it came back two weeks ago and now it's gone. So I think that there's no excuse to not have some type of protocol every day. So how do you do it? How do you get to your, your body to that point to where you don't fall into the what's so easy to fall into? I don't need the gym anymore, man. I had too much of that shit. And it, that's, that's easy to say. You, how, many, how often do you do it, Clint? You worked that's, out a lot your whole life. Right. I, 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 can, I can relate to everything you just said and, you know, through myself and through a lot of the patients I've seen over the year because the typical person is not Chad Belding 2019. The typical person is kind of what you described. Um, let's, let's tie this into, into the duck hunter or the deer hunter. Um, most of us played some sports when we were younger. We have an athletic background. We got middle-aged, we have kids, we put our energy and our time and our focus into them and our occupation and our, our wife or our husband. And, uh, sometimes there's just not enough energy at the end of the day. Uh, so there's there, that, that, that leads down a whole other line of conversation, but getting into the here and now that's the typical person that I see. We spend a lot of time talking about youth. Uh, the typical person you see is that middle-aged man or woman that, that have a somewhat sedentary job and, they used to be athletic, they used to be fit, but they're not anymore and now they want some help. Um, and I think that's a big, that, that's a big factor. I, we could use Chad as an example. We, most of us are, we have a very physical lifestyle up until about our mid twenties. And you know, if you land a job that's gonna pay you good money, it's typically gonna be a quite sedentary job. Um, driving a truck, uh, sitting in an office, uh, sitting in a lot of long meetings, driving, flying on planes, um, very sedentary sitting activity. So what you see a lot of people struggle with in their middle age is, is back trouble, right? That's got to be our number one thing that we, we see that are just kind of chronic uh, things that people deal with. My back goes out five or six times a year, and that's the person that shows up in my office. And what can we do to prevent this? We can get you out of pain right now in the here and now. It's going to take a few weeks, but what can we do to prevent this? I always feel like I'm kind of confined into a box because of the world that I'm in. I'm in the physical therapy world that's driven by insurance companies and a prescription from a doctor that's two to three times a week for four to six weeks. And I, I could, I could write that down, you know, and it's going to be accurate 98% of the time. You're, you're not going to quote unquote fix somebody in two to three times a week for four to six weeks, but you, you have a window, you have an opportunity to have these types of conversations with somebody that, yeah, we can fix some things in the here and now, but this is going to be a long-term lifestyle change. If you really want to get out of consistent pain, Typical, typical hunter, we're up early in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, and we're demanding our body do some things that it's not ready for. And I, I, I had that conversation a lot with people is I hurt my back. I was working in my yard and I was doing some wheelbarrow work or whatever, some shovel work. My back went on me, locked up on me. I couldn't stand, stand straight up and went to the doctor, gave me a steroid pack. And, you know, here I am in your office. My first conversation I have is, you know, did you warm up? Did you, did you do anything the day before, the night before that morning to expect your body to, to take on that demand and not get hurt? And, you know, that's, that, that initially gives somebody some perspective. Like, really, would you, would you go compete in the sports event if you do have a history of being an athlete? You wouldn't have went out there cold. You wouldn't have went out there without warming up and loosening up with your teammates. So typically what happens is you get on your own and you just don't have enough time to do that. And that's where injuries set in. So... 
again, a lot of it is really sitting down and having conversations with people along with the treatment is, is really a lot of education and just trying to open their eyes to how things can get better by preventative measures. Um, so going back to the duck hunter, you know, that, that you're laying in a blind all day long and then you're going to jump up out of the blind. You're going to run out and you're going to retrieve some birds and not expect your Achilles tendon to be sore the next day or your neck or shoulder to be locked up a little bit because you shot 40 or 50 times with a shotgun and you kinked your neck. Um, so again, going back to it's, it's a lot of times it's it, in my world, it's taking that sedentary lifestyle of whatever it is that we're doing and trying to get somebody a bit more dynamic in their off time. So, so it brings that. So now we're talking about everyday Americans, right? And that's yeah. really what we're talking about here is what, what, where, where do we go as a person do we just go get a $10 a month gym membership and go in there and, and think that that suffice? Or is it the protocol? Is it getting a personal trainer? Is it going into a, a training program like you offer? Not everybody can afford it. Not everybody has the lifestyle or the timing or the scheduling that can allow them to do it based on the times that you offer it. What, where does the, where I, what do I, what do I call them? What do you call the, the it's not, I don't want to say the normal Joe because we're all normal Joes, but my lifestyle is a little bit different. I can get in there, but where, where does somebody like Clint, let's say Clint, Clint's going nine to five most days. And then he's got baseball practice and then he's got wife and dinner and then he's got homework. And that's, that's normal America. Right? Yeah. So wh where do you, where do we start? I, I have a busier schedule than I ever have. And so I really believe in micro setting. A lot of people think of, I've got a, join a gym and then they never go because it doesn't really work out in their schedules right what well what about just micro setting movement into your day right so the first thing i look at is look in the mirror right the muscles that you can see you need to mobilize those muscles okay the muscles you can't see you need to activate them and clint uh just on that note would you agree with that absolutely yeah one of my favorite things that i I tell it doesn't matter what the ailment of a, of a man or a woman is that's in the office is a, one of my favorite examples is I don't have time to exercise. You know, we're, we're going down that road of conversation. So everybody watches TV and everybody drives. So on a commercial break, get your butt either get up out of the couch. But even if you can't get up, this is some of my elderly people that aren't going to get up a whole lot. Slide forward in your chair. Teach them what good posture is. Teach them how to actually get their shoulder blades in a good position and activate the, the stabilizing muscles. That's what Matt's talking about as far as the muscles you can't see, right? And hold that position. Make yourself tall. Act like, act like you got a string attached to the top of your head and somebody's pulling you to the ceiling and make yourself as tall. Long spines are healthy spines. You know, there's all these things that we say constantly over and over again. And hold that for the entire commercial break or... Hold that for you. You're stopped at a red light. Slide yourself forward. Get yourself in a good postural position uh, and hold yourself there until that light turns green. Micro setting, right? Just different terminology, different different you know, walks of life and stuff. But we're talking about the same stuff. But you're right? talking about little tiny short-term goals that you can do. Because that's realistic. Yeah. That's what, I, if I'm going to have a patient leave my office, they're, gonna leave, they're not going to leave with a, you know, a three-page home exercise program of pictures and sets and reps, they're going to leave with two or three things to do, max. Right. Because they're not going to do five or six or 20 things. This is not going to happen because they're coming in your office not doing anything. You can't expect them to all of a sudden <laughs> completely change things. So, yeah, two or three crucial key things, be it a stretch, be it a postural exercise, be it a rotator cuff exercise, whatever it is that meets their, their needs. But that's the way I generally tend to tackle things. 
Yeah, I, I kind of refer to um, accessory strength. I say access your strength, access your posture, right? So assess your strength, assess your posture rather. Like you're going to do some frogger, something very simple that you can do on the floor, in your office, at home, wherever. And those froggers are going to activate your glutes, your glute med. You're going to open up your groin a little bit. You're going to get in some good uh, activation again in the back of your body. You're going to mobilize the, the front of your body a little bit more that way. That's uh, just an example of something that anybody can do anytime, really. And they can put that throughout their day, maybe 10 active sets. That means you would active reps rather. That means you would hold your position at the top when you're in hip extension. You would hold that for maybe two, three, four seconds or better yet, use breathing to dictate the pace. Uh, so I'd like to go over breathing in a second. But other than that, you know, you're looking at things like I love what Clint was talking about. If we work on postural fixes throughout the day, you're standing there talking to somebody uh, at a meeting or, you know, you just are uh, taking some, let's say, some time in between commercial breaks. I love that. And you're just working on your posture. Well, that's in itself going to do more for you than I think going into the gym and working on defeated mechanics again, because you haven't worked enough on these postural fixes to begin with. We spend an hour in the gym maybe and then what are we doing the other 23 hours so that's where i think that micro setting is is kind of a term i use from i believe it's kelly starrett and he had actually has a book called uh i think it's desk jockeys or desk bound um and it's uh it's all about uh you know basically working on these micro sets throughout the day if you're a desk jockey right so that's a good book to read but Ultimately, you are looking at patterns that we are so used to, right? Again, postural patterns, postural habits. We need to retrain ourselves so that it feels weird when we're not in the right posture anymore, right? But we're so comfortable in these sort of spine-spilled positions that it feels normal to us now. And so, of course, we're sort of molded into these you know, upper cross syndromes into these rolled shoulders, into these hips that are now uh, dysfunctional. Because when we're sitting down, guys, our glutes are stretched all the time, right? We're not using our glutes. So if we just lay down, do some froggers, do some glute bridges, do some activation, do some lateral leg raises, things like that, we're gonna turn our glutes back on. And now we actually use our glutes when we're walking, right? We're using our glutes when we're level changing, those kind of things. And so we wanna ultimately start working towards that one step at a time. And you mentioned yourself, Chad, like in the beginning, you were, you were definitely going through some issues. You know, all of a sudden, oh man, I feel it in my hamstring, like I just pulled something, right? And that went on a lot more in the first six months. And like you just said, now you don't feel anything anymore. You don't get yourself out of position because you've now created a pattern long enough, a chronic pattern, which is a, a, in a good way now that it's chronic, that now you're in a much better set position, right? head to heel, strong as steel, however we want to say it, that you're now centigrated, if you will, right? Your joints are centigrated. They're working as they should, right? And you have good articulation in those joints. Your body is aware now of its, um, you know, its uh, 
its posture, right? It's, it's aware of its positioning. And when you're not in the right position, that actually feels weird at this point. But nobody said it's easy, guys. When you first start working on this stuff, it's, it's a constant struggle at first to create the right habits. And you've got to just almost like set your watch to where you say, okay, maybe my watch beeps every five minutes at first and I, ne I need to fix my posture, right? So I need to just lift my sternum up because I've, I've been sinking back down into that uh, spilled spine position again. Up, oh, my watch just went off, right? Lift my sternum and remind myself to get back into that, right? Yeah, are you doing that at, at the, in the shape that you're in right now at 45, 46 years old, Matt? Are you constantly adjusting your posturing throughout the day? I just did it. becomes it. a mindset, right? Yeah. And I yeah. look at myself on TV and I'm like, what a slouch. Right. Look at that lazy son. And I'm just like all hunched over. And then, and then so that, that's what I'm doing constantly during the day is like, I've always learned that what you're saying, that long spine. I learned it from Mark Philippi in 1993, the strength and conditioning coach at UNLV, whether or not his techniques were right or not. One thing that I took out of it was activate your belly button and pull it into your spine and do that in class. Practice that in class and just keep your belly button activated. I took that all the way through my duck calling career, my goose calling career, keeping my diaphragm tight, that air pressurized air tight. And it taught me to get my lung capacity up and it made me a, you know, a, a, a better breather with my asthma and everything added in a lot of those little things that you take away help and one thing that you always stress is that you don't have to be a marathon runner not even a 5k runner get up in the morning and do what go on a 20 minute walk so talk to me a little bit about what you just said about breathing and walking and what you've really been pounding us in the gym is the steps we take and the breaths we take with those steps on how to bring in five and out four or in four and out five talk to me why that's important and how that's going to help somebody at least get started and two is that getting them in shape when it might not feel like they are getting in shape yeah, no, it's a really good point. <clears throat> when we talk about core being the most important, you know, part, right? It's our trunk, right? It's 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 a, a source of our strength and stability. A lot of people, again, think about the abs, right? They think about the crunches, things like that, and that's actually probably going to be pretty dysfunctional for a lot of people to to do that. That's only getting you a little bit more in that forward position. So. I really like uh, everybody listening up here, go out for a walk in the morning, but I want you to really think about your breathing patterns. So you're going to breathe in through your nose only, and you're going to count five steps. So right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. That's five steps. Then you're going and breathing in through the nose only here. Okay. Then you're going to breathe out and you can breathe out through your mouth as well. When you're breathing out, I like to go with at least some pierced lips so that we have some resistance and you're going to breathe out for four steps. Okay. So you're now breathing in for a pattern of five. You're breathing out for a pattern of four. You're going to load your right side, maybe the first uh, pattern. Then because it's asymmetrical, you're going to load the left side. The next time, what we have found is that most people favor one side, so they're always loading right. So they might be walking in a 3-3 three, three pattern or a 2-2 two, two pattern, something like that, where they're breathing in and out on the same loaded hip every single time, okay? And so what we like to do is create a asymmetrical pattern like a 5-4 walking or a 4-3, something like that. And now we think about if you're going to lift up something really heavy, right? If you're going to lift something heavy off the floor, you're going to naturally brace yourself by breathing in and holding that, right? So that you create that uh, inner weight belt, right? So when you first take that first breath out, that's when you are most vulnerable 
to injury because you're starting to lose some of that brace. That's why we breathe in longer than we breathe out, okay? But by using your nose in that breathing pattern, now you're really starting to recruit a little bit more, okay? And by breathing out with some pierced lips, you're gonna use a little bit more of that uh, diaphragmic breathing that we talk about, but a lot of people don't really know how to do it. So that's the way I like to start people because if you walk for 20 minutes, 30 minutes that way, then you start to think, okay, why can't I walk to the grocery store that way? Ultimately, you start to really work on your bracing and your breathing patterns just by walking. Then you start to maybe incorporate that into your day a little bit more, again, micro setting, to where now you can tell that you don't even have to always count it over time. You can just tell when you're in a good pattern. It's, it becomes automatic. So I would say it takes about three to six weeks to get used to that kind of pattern. And I think it's huge for people to start with because it should start with breathing. Okay, so are you, do you have, I want to talk about posture real quick when you're walking. I want to stay simple in walking because a big thing that to me is just getting started. Even me, I, I feel better if, if I don't have the extremity, extremity or is that a word, the extreme workout that you give me twice a week. And sometimes it's not extreme, extreme this week as it was last week, but a walk does you good. So what other little things besides breathing can we tell somebody in a walk, Clint or Matt? And the first thing that I want to start is with your feet, posture with your feet. Is it okay to have a duck or whatever this is called where your toes are at a 45 degree angle out a little bit? Maybe that's a little bit extreme, 45 degrees, but they're pointed outwards. Is that okay or is it better to really concentrate? Now you got your spinal cord, your long spine, you got your five breaths in, your four breaths out. You're talking about loading different sides because of the asymmetrical breathing. And now is it is it smart to try to keep your feet in a straight line when you're walking as far as getting that better muscle development and all of your tendons and everything working together? Is that a Matt question or is that better for you? I, there's, there's different, I, I don't know if that's true across the board. Um, you know, for example, if there's dysfunction, if somebody's got a bad hip or they just had it or they have a hip replacement, you know, there's so many different scenarios there, but yeah, in general symmetry, you know, one foot, one foot turned out, towed out there at a, at a 15 degree angle. And the other one tends to be in a more neutral position yeah, you would want to try to actively correct that. You would you, and the, really the big part of that is once you point that out to somebody, just like the posture, I, I guarantee you, Chad and I were both thinking about our breathing as Matt was describing that walk, right? Was, yeah. So just the, the aspect of of talking to people, educating them to a certain level, and and just being able to be aware of things like that, a lot of things will auto correct. Wow, I never even noticed I did that before. They don't have to, but they do it because their hip hurts a little bit. So they, they naturally don't use their glutes or they don't use their glute medius and they use, they use a different muscle. They use a little bit of a groin muscle or this muscle on the side of the hip called a TFL. But, uh, you know, there's abnormal movement patterns that people do to just try to get around a pain. And if you can actually train them along with some preventative stuff that has to do with some stretching and some strengthening, stabilizing work, they will along with that awareness, start to walk better naturally thinking about it. So, yeah. So, say, so getting around pain is one thing, Matt. I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh -huh. Getting around pain is one thing, but I, I would bet money that if we went to, let's say where there's a lot of people right now, the mall, somewhere where there's a lot of people, and we sat there and did a study on walking, you know, the, the, the foot position and the spine and everything, I would 
guess, and maybe I'm way off, but I would say at least 80 to 90% of people have their feet pointed out and they're slouched over a little bit and they're not in an athletic position walking. And I know that sounds drastic, like not everybody's going to do what you guys do and not everybody's going to live, but I'm talking about getting started and concentrating on little things like that. Hmm. Long spine, feet lined up, breathing, all of that stuff. It's called, it's called proprioception, right? That's the word. Proprioception is body awareness. Body awareness. You know, so all great, this, great, all this goes down to you know being more aware of your body, and what you're getting at is the average person out there is not really aware of any of the stuff that we're talking about, be it a gait cycle or or a sitting posture or a standing posture, and um, you know little things like that can make a big difference. And that's typically where you make a, a, a little changes make big differences in a lot of people. You don't have to make major changes. Even people that even people that were athletes through the twelfth grade. They ended their high school career and that was it. None of them went to junior college or on to D1 or D2, right? Which is probably 90% of the athletic community out there. Would you guys agree with that? 10% maybe go on to the next level, if that? Right. So let's assume that 50% of the people that we're watching walk at the mall every day did play Little League and Pop Warner and gymnastics and basketball and MMA and boxing or whatever. And they're still like that. So that tells you maybe that we're not being taught the important things as a young athlete. And again, what I'm going to go over with you off of microphone is exactly up this alley is that you expect that to be the first thing they learn that to me, again, I'm not harping on coaches. It just seems like we need to get back to that, that we can't go on to this part before you get your feet right or your knees right, because you're going to end up hurting yourself. Even if you hit a home run on this at bat, if you keep doing this that way, you're not going to get another at bat kind of ideology. So is is would you think that the number would be that high if you just you got to be paying attention to that kind of shit right matt when you're out you're built like greek god you got to be i'm not saying you look down on people but you got to be paying attention to what people are doing all the time right i I do i'm i'm always aware of what people are doing around me as well as me and i'm like when i walk to a baseball game I take pride in my posture and getting my feet right and feeling athletic as i'm walking into an athletic event or into a hunt or something it's all we got is awareness. That's all we're left with really is being aware of our surroundings, being aware of what we're doing. You take it to the next level. You talk to somebody like Neil Fincher or Zach. They've taught me I'm aware. I go into anywhere now. I'm aware. What am I going to do with this? And I'm not saying that I'm paranoid or freaked out. I'm just saying be aware, right? And start with a walk in the morning. And, and what was the word for body awareness? I think we should call it body awareness, but it was pre, pre what? What was the word? Nice memory. Proprioception. Proprioception. Way too big a word for me, but body awareness is key, right? Yeah. You know, I, of course, own a gym, brick and mortar place that we love to get it done. And uh, you said, of course, you know, we'll put in progression. So not every week is, is as hard as the week before. There, there's purposeful progressions there. And there's times when you notice that you're in there and we're working almost entirely on accessory work for a week. Yeah, we back way off of the big time. Back way off. Um, and that's important for the nervous system. That's important for our parasympathetic state. So that's your rest and digest, okay? Uh, we don't always want to be in that sympathetic or flight or fight state. Uh, I mentioned like little details, guys, when you're out there for that walk and I said breathe into your nose, I, I've had people... Uh, especially I guess runners where I'll tell them, okay, run easy for me. Okay. At a four, three. And I'll say, how'd that go? And they'll say, well, I couldn't do it at four, three. So 
you know, and I said, okay, but you can do it. You just have to slow down, but I want you breathing through your nose because I want you to get more parasympathetic. I want you to bring your stress down. And a, a lot of these people you're talking about that you're observing, they're, they're, they're so burnt out. Their nervous systems are so burnt out and they say, well, I don't work out. I don't, yeah, but you take on a lot of stress every single day, just with the multitasking you have to do right with your, your kids, with your job, with, you know, the schedules we keep with again, social media, all of these things is constantly burning out our adrenals. Right? So the idea that when we drop our jaw, right, we have to, we have to run for our lives. Right. And so adrenal. Right. And so if we can start to learn to do some of this stuff, bring it back to the basics with our breathing, just in through the nose. And I don't care how slow you're going. I don't care. And you'll notice this with a lot of athletes that you've already seen, like Joey. Again, Joey ended up losing about 30 pounds when he did have his endocrine issues. And he lost that 30 pounds by finally accepting the fact that he had to go out in the mornings and walk the way we're talking about walking. And he wanted to run and he wanted to run fast. And he was not giving his system a chance to reboot, right? So this works on many, many levels, but let's get to baby steps here. For example, with proprioception, I love it when somebody just starting out starts off with a morning walk from their neighborhood, right? And, but maybe now they start to say, okay, I can a day or two a week get to the park and now I can start walking some of the trails. And then maybe eventually say, you know what? I'm starting to get pretty fit here. I have better uh, proprioception, even walking over grass, dirt, uneven uh, terrain, those kind of things. And getting used to that now, and I'm keeping good breathing, keeping good posture. Now I'm going to go ahead and hit a you know technical trail. And now I've got to hike on that technical trail and really pick my feet up. My I've got to balance on uh, you know rocks constantly. I have to make adjustments, and I'm going to build into that. Right. So there's progressions that you can make, but start with baby steps. Start with you know walking on in your neighborhood go to the parks, then go to the technical trails, right? And make that variety a constant thing once you get to that place, right? So there's always ways you can, you can advance. And uh, even just brushing your teeth and working on your balance while you're brushing your teeth. That's exactly where I was going to go. And yeah. When, when you have an athlete like <clears throat> Joey <clears throat> or myself that I can do a lot of the things in the gym, the strength stuff. I can push the sled. I can do a lot of the things. And then you give me a simple task of standing straight, looking in the mirror, lifting one leg and putting my arm over my head. No problem with my eyes open. I can stand there all day. As soon as I close my eyes, what is that all about? What is going on to where all of a sudden I just lose my ability to stand on that one foot and leg and keep my, my, my core and, and I just start losing my balance, my eyes are closed. And then, and then you really wanna mess me up and you tell me to raise my other hand and, and touch my other hand above my head and then drop it. What's, what, again, that's something simple that somebody can work on. Go in the bathroom, raise one leg up and brush your teeth on one leg and keep your core activated and, and stay there. And then after 15 seconds, because you're supposed to brush your teeth for 20 minutes, 30 seconds a region, I think. There's four regions, they say, front and back, whatever. So for you, you have really clean teeth. I only go two minutes. Two, yeah, two minutes. That's yeah. what I'm saying. So 30 <laughs> seconds a region. Yeah. So and now at, at the end of that one minute, switch to the other leg. Yeah. That's easy to do, right? Yeah. But not many people do that. Or do I feel like I'm goofy? I don't want my kids to see that. But what is it about when you close your freaking eyes that you go from 
you go from athlete to like not even human. Like you can't even barely stand up. Does that, maybe you can do it way better than I can. But Joey, I watched Joey the other day and he looks at me and goes, what in the is going on? I can't stay up. And he couldn't either. And he's a, he's a stud athlete. Yeah. You know, like balances, balances practice. A lot of times we take it for granted that we can walk over these trails and, you know, over the uneven ground out to the duck blind in the morning, through the water, through the, through the mud, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, a static balance activity. So, so what is, what is balance? There's three components to balance. You just vision, right? Our visual field, our depth perception is the primary way we, we take in our world and, and find our place, uh, in space, right? Then we have our inner ear, our equilibrial center, what's called the vestibular center. So an exact, I, I feel you know, really freaking yeah. dumb today. Well, you, but you know, I, I think it was the A team, right? It wasn't the A team that, or, or GI Joe. One of the knowledge is what is uh, knowledge is power. Knowledge. What, what's, what was the saying? Uh, oh, it'll come back to me. Knowing, knowing is half the battle. Yeah. GI yeah, Joe. Yeah. GI yeah. Joe. Yeah. Knowing is half the battle. Yeah. Um, so your ear, your inner ear, yeah, inner equilibrium. equilibrium center, right? So you, you could, you could be laying in bed with your eyes closed in a dark room and you can have a sense that you're horizontal, right? You're not vertical. There's things inside of your inner ear, your equilibrial center, little crystals and things that move around that give you an idea of where you're at in space, minus vision or without vision. And the third one, believe it or not, proprioceptive system. So feedback from our body. And that's what you're tapping into. I, when I close my eyes, I eliminate vision. So now I have, I've put stress, I've put more demand on those other two systems. You're vertical, unless you have equilibrial issues, that shouldn't be too much of an issue. Maybe if you turned your head side to side, that's going to change your world a little bit too. But really what you're putting demand on is your, the feedback from your body. All of our tendons, our, our muscles, our fascias, our joints have receptors in them that report back to the spinal cord and back up to the brain. This is where I'm at in space. So I'm standing on one foot and my foot's a bit in an arched position, right? It's supinated. And you start to lean a little bit because you started to sway. There's sensors in your foot and your ankle that are going to tell your brain vision or no vision, you've got to activate a different movement or a different muscle to bring yourself back to your center. And that's what you're tapping into there. That's happening. That's happening every step that we take, but because it's dynamic, it, it happens for a split second, and then we're on to the next step. So that's, that's why that can be difficult is because you're, it's a sustained position and you're tapping into some things that you don't often tap. But you're into. saying with practice and consistency practice. that you can get it. Down? I don't care if you're an 85 year old osteoporotic woman that's on a, on a, a walker and can walk a hundred feet without, without, you know, before they have to sit down, they can get better balance. They might have to do it on two legs. They might have to take two legs and bring them closer together, you know, or they are, they're at a, they're at a countertop and they can eventually let go with one hand. You know, there's all different kinds of elements, but you can always practice your balance and always, always make it better. It doesn't matter what age or what health you're in. So, so that it is a real thing though, because it's, it's, it's we, challenging. How often do you do that? How Never. often in your daily life do you actually stand on one leg? But I can, I can take skills? a BOSU ball and put it on the round part with the flat part up, put one foot in the center and raise one leg and then come all the way back in like a yoga position and kick my leg out, staying on that one leg and then come back up. And then I try to do it with my eyes closed and I'll literally fall down off of the ball and have to catch myself with my hands. It's just like, it's my, it's not mind blowing. Again, I'm, it's not drama. It's just like little things like that can make you feel so much better in life and get you to where you're using your three senses of balance now, which I knew equilibrium was going to be one of them, which is so important in, in our everyday life because depth perception and everything that we do visually 
and coming up from a laying down position, having a loaded weapon, being able to get that weapon in position and be able to act, you know, activate and do that. There's a lot more that goes into just being a quote unquote duck hunter or an archery hunter that these little things help you. So that's why these talks are so important because I'm applying that standing on one leg. I'm applying that to being on one leg and bending down and grabbing three more decoys with one thing, one go, because we're in a hurry to get out of that field because we want the birds to keep getting in there. And, and, and so we have a hunt the, the next couple days. And this arm's already loaded up with a bunch of them. So I'm picturing how we're using our bodies in all of these different positions. It's nighttime. We don't have a lot of night, a lot of light in the morning, right? We might have a headlamp on. We're doing a lot of things with low light things. So now you start applying that, those senses. And if you break it down scientifically, you're asking a lot of your body, like you already said, Clint. But there's little things that we can do to practice that's protocol that nobody freaking does, really. And even if you go to a physical therapist and they say, go home and do these two to three things for the next six days, I wonder if they do it for the next six days and they stay on their protocol. I want, I want to know that from you, Clint. What's the compliance there in your, with your clients? All over the board. I mean, you see enough different people and personalities, but there's no one question. But generally speaking, that is the advantage of having a... a time with the physical therapist. There are the people that, that come one time and they're never there, but you're, you're good, you're good patient, decent insurance situation, all that kind of stuff. You're going to see somebody for, let's just say a two month period of time. You got a little two month window to work with them. And that sometimes can be the advantage to potentially, let's say you got to deal with an insurance company and, and request more visits, request more authorization. And that's how you could justify it is that they're coming into therapy and that's keeping them on task. So compliance is definitely, if you looked at it on a chart, it's way up while they're coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still not great. Right. You know, that, that's for, you know, if I give somebody exercises to do at home, activities to do at home, you can always, you always know if they're doing them just by coaching them the next time they come in. I'm going to start with those. Show me, show me how you're doing with X exercise. And if they're all over the place, you know, they haven't been doing it. Or if they have been doing it, they're at least still doing it wrong. But yeah, compliance is decent when they're in the clinic, but the real, the real winner is if you can get them something, if you can make an impact to where they're still doing it three months from now. And, and I, I run into people, I saw a therapist uh, three years ago and um, gave me this group exercise. There's that one that I still do, you know, because it, it helps me, it helps my back. You know, it made an impact because it, it, you know, they had some type of symptom relief to it. So there's, there's going to be compliance if it's the right activity um, more often than not. Right. What about you? You give us stuff to do at home, the protocol. Do you yeah. think, do you think that we're all compliant? Do you assume that we are, or, or is it just like, Hey, either you are, or you're not kind of deal. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. And I've struggled a lot with trying to find the right recipe. And, uh, so what I believe is that people who journal, people who log, they have the, the best success, right? They're, they're writing down on a daily basis. Yes, I did my protocol today. Yes, uh, I had good nutrition. Yes, I had eight hours of sleep, so on and so forth. And I've done all sorts of things there. I have a uh, Power 10 checklist that it takes you literally less than a minute to just check off on that list. And that's in uh, real time. In other words, as a coach, I can see that person's checklist and check on them and see what they're keeping up with. But really with this day and age, so many people, especially my younger athletes, uh, everything's about texting, right? Um, they logging is almost a lost art. 
actually writing things down pencil to paper, which is what I still do. It's what I, I do that. I don't even like to use technology when it comes to that. I feel like I'm more connected by physically putting pen to paper, right? And, and writing things out, but I have to go with the times here. So what's been successful for me, and we just started this more recently about um, five weeks ago, I said, okay, we're gonna start a, I got 1% better today, dot, dot, dot. Okay. And so with my athletes that are starting out, what I want to hear from them is I got 1% better today by doing my protocol. And I tell those athletes, you, we have a month, this first month, and then Clint, your son will be doing this, right? This first month, every single day, I want to text from you that you did your protocol. Now, once they have that ingrained and it becomes a habit, now we can start moving towards, I got 1% better today by seeing things happening for me. And for example, today I, I did this, right? I accomplished this, right? Because I saw it happening for me, right? So we can start to branch out from there. And this 1% day uh, conversation is also, I think, su successful because I made it in performance partners. So in other words, you can grab a friend of yours who you want to hold yourself you know compliant to so in other words you know when you have somebody to work out with in the gym right keeps you a little bit more consistent if you have somebody to meet for a run or a hike or something like that keeps you more consistent so you know texting works well that way where my performance partners in the gym are texting i'm including on that included on that text so i can see it as well as the coach but my performance partners are texting each other and helping each other with some of their own answers right some of their own questions and the other performance partner might suggest something to them and as a coach i'm just observing it and then maybe we'll send something off in a text where i think like my expertise would help right but that's been really really successful we've been doing that for just about six weeks i get so many texts a day because um you know we have a lot of different athletes but the idea is that they are now held accountable in a way that they um, can be accountable. So technology in that case is working for us now. So I like something like that. I've actually been thinking about doing that with your group a little bit more now as well, but we haven't gotten to that yet, but I've been thinking about it, yeah. So what if somebody doesn't have a coach? What if somebody doesn't have a partner that can hold them compliant? What are some things that, again, the average Joe or the average Sally can do they're going to get up and they're going to take that first step of the walk and the systematic breathing and everything. Mm -hmm. Where does compliance come in on that? Journaling's one. You, yeah. Is there a reward system, a personal reward system? How, how can somebody that's listening to this say, you know what, I'm going to start over tomorrow and I'm going to get going. I'm at least going to go on some walks. I'm going to brush my teeth on one foot. I'm going to try to be better than building it, closing his eyes and holding his balance on one foot. There's little things that you can challenge yourself through the day, sucking in your belly button, getting your posture right, walking in a straight line. What, how do, where does compliance come in on, as an individual now? Yeah, so I think reward systems can be different for different people. You, you have your four Fs for success, right? So you have family, right? You have fitness, you have focus, and you have finances, right? So everybody has somebody in their family, even if they're not going to be you know, doing the same thing, somebody who cares about you that maybe you can say, I'm going to send you this text. If I don't send you a text, you gotta, you, you gotta call me on it right? Or whatever it's going to be. Or maybe you're that person again, who prefers logging like I do, and then have your wife or, you know, your, your cousin or whoever it is, your best friend, <clears throat> uh, review that with you, right? 
hold yourself accountable in that way. But the reward part is um, important. So, you know, what does that mean? Well, if I have six really good, clean days of nutrition and I've been doing my protocol and I've been walking in the morning and those kind of things, then I am going to give myself that reward. Maybe I'm going to go to the movies and get some popcorn with butter, um, you know, and, and, and have, uh, have that Coke maybe. Right. Um, and I think that everything in moderation. So, but without doing those things the entire week, you, you might go see that movie, but you just have to go without the popcorn and, and the Coke and you, and you have to hold yourself accountable to that. I still think the best way is finding a performance partner or somebody who cares about you that would say, okay, um, yeah, you can't get that. You can't get that popcorn with butter. You, 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 uh, told me you didn't do all of your protocol this week. And you know, that's just a, a, an example. I mean, you could set yourself up with other reward systems. Although sometimes I think when you do that, that's can be a false positive. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you don't want to always like the reward is the fact that you're going to, you know, be healthy yeah. and, and have a good, long, healthy life. That's the reward. I, I don't know how much external reward should be around that, but you know, it, do you and, and do what works for you at least in the beginning to create those habits. And over time, you just want to do it because you want to do it. You don't need rewards anymore. But you know? when, when Clint says that only a certain percentage of his patients go home and do the protocol. You know, they might do one of the exercises or they might do it for a while. They're in the, you know, the four weeks or six weeks or whatever the insurance is paying, you know, for, to see Clint or the therapist in their area. If they're only doing it when they're hurt that much, they're probably not doing it all when they feel good. You know, they're probably just going through like, Hey man, everything's fine. But then all of a sudden I get a little bit of an injury. I'm going to do a little bit of protocol. So if they're not doing much after the fact, they're probably not doing anything before the fact. And, and, and the whole, when you guys contacted me about, you know, injury, as we start getting older, I started thinking like, it's very important because two years ago I was injured a lot more working out. I don't care if it was doing froggers across the gym on a mat I would come up lame on an ankle sometime or a little bit of a tendon or an Achilles tendon, something was going on. And now the bracing, the pulling myself into the ground, my knees, the stability, the posturing, everything that you've beat into us. And I don't mean beat in physically. I'm just talking about just the consistency in messaging, the sitting down in the office and not going through the motions as a listener, but actually being a sponge and not going into situations in life and going through that motion, but actually coming out of it and going, you know what? I learned something from that. I lost but I took this away from it. I won, but I'm going to be better in the next instance because I took this away from it. Whether you're an athlete or whether you're just in the job force, there's always something to take out of something. So if you go into a situation and have the opportunity to learn, then you best be freaking willing and, and free up your ears and your internal system to it. You know, bring all of that in and digest it and put it into your system and go, I'm going to take this one thing out of what Matt said today. All right, all of these F's equal the final F, which is what? Freedom, right? Freedom is what you get by practicing the four F's that you just said. Mm -hmm. So I learned that the other day. I want freedom. I want financial freedom. I want time freedom. I want to be able to do what I want, when I want, with who I want. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's the American dream. That's Mike Stoker's life. Mm -hmm. I want Alyssa to be able to see that what work ethic brings, right? Those four F's equal freedom. People can have all sorts of things in life and have everything going on and not ever get to that point of where, man, I feel like I'm free right now. I can go do some things because they're always a slave to the grind or they're always in, they're always injured. Or, so I think these little things that we're talking about, the walks, 
the posture, the breathing. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger scope of all of it. And I think that's where you're at with what you're doing, Matt, is that if you, if you listen to your approach, there's always the bigger picture. Well, you might not even get to the big picture with your pr- presentation, but it's, it's, if you read into it, if you really study it and you really follow it and you go through what Clint did in his education and you listen to what he's saying, at the end of the day, there's so much that can be uh, benefited out of the little little things that we're talking about. And I don't think people understand that because I, I, I brought up as simple as something simple as walking today, P- putting your feet in a straight line and taking pride in you, you talk about your glutes. Well, I'm very anal about my ass. Does that sound weird to say that in a sentence? I'm very anal about my ass. I want my ass to be an athletic ass in a form to where you think about like those horses I watched at the Kentucky Derby. I want a small back. I want muscles in my my small back with a, a rump at the end from doing the exercises and walking right and feeling powerful to where if somebody comes up to me and messes with me or just wants to race or joke around, I'm not gonna get hurt. I'm not gonna get beat. I might get beat physically or I might get beat in a race, but I'm not gonna get beat by myself by not being able to perform perform it or I'm not getting injured during it. And I think that all of that is little tiny steps. Our ass is very important to our core. Suck it in, get a small back in the back, get your spinal cord long, get your chin up, be aware around you, be watching what's around you. If I see something coming up and I, and I got four people walking at me right here, I can dodge and get in this little lane right here and miss them and keep on that straight line. I feel good about that. I know that sounds probably over the top to some people, but when I'm walking to a baseball game, that's what I'm thinking. I'm walking. I see you doing it. I know that you like, you watch where you're stepping. You don't want to step on a crack. So you're trying to like, you know, eliminate that way. We've all done that. I still do it at 44 years old. I'm going to get my feet in this position to make these steps right and stay balanced. It's not going overboard. It's doing little things like that to make your, put yourself in a position to feel better, to prevent injury. And in, in, in the long run, I feel breed success. I truly feel that these little things that we're talking about will be, there's no way that Rick Revilio, and I always bring that son of a bitch up because he's a badass and you know he is, right? I yeah, mean, attest yeah. to that, right? He's, he's coming into the gym on Sunday with his wife. I'm I, excited. I prom. oh, that's, I want, I should go, I'm going to go and watch that. I promise you though that he practices, he practices these things. Yeah. Rick practices these little things on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. There's a mentality that goes into what we're saying and it might not be able to be inherited or it might not be genetic, but I truly feel that it can be learned through protocol and through consistency. Does that make sense at all? It's what you teach every day and it's what you, how you live every day is that you can't get here without doing this thing. It's very seldom that you're going to get here without doing the little things. There are some rare cases that you might skip a few of these things and win American Idol and get a record deal. But most people have to work their way up in the honky tonks and take their licks, right, to get up here to have an opportunity to do it. It's very rare to be Kelly Clarkson. doesn't happen very often. So that, again, I'm saying a lot, but the main thing is there is a message here in the little things. We didn't talk about anything that is going to get your heart rate to 180 today, did we? We haven't talked about something that's going to make you sore for six weeks after you do it. We didn't talk about going out and trying to run four miles when you can barely walk one mile. Don't go out and think you're going to do a half marathon or a 5K just because Sally down the road is going to run the journal jog on Sunday. Maybe you go and walk half of it and then jog 100 yards and then walk a little bit of it. But little things, right? That's what we're talking about here. So the theme is preventing injury. 
what we're, 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 we're talking about balance. We're talking about equilibrium. We're talking about vision. We're talking about fitness. We're talking about training. Can injury be prevented by not having a trainer and not having a harsh workout program? How do people cons- consistently stay away from injury? Absolutely, Ken. But uh, I feel like this is, you know, probably Clint's uh, baby here. So you should talk about that. Well, I, I was going to say I was going to start this because I want Matt to end it because he'll, he'll have a much better ending. Uh, I'll just use one example, I think, of, of something that's coming up in, in uh, my family and my friends. Uh, near future is we're going to be getting tags at the end of the month. We will or we won't be getting tags. Um, don't wait. The guy that's out there that's got uh, uh, you know, 12 points for his, for his mule deer tag, don't wait until the, the news comes through that you got a mule deer tag and all of a sudden now you're going to go to that end of that spectrum that Chad was just talking about and, and go hurt yourself. You know, go from zero to 100. Start right now. Go out and start actually walking. Start building a grade up on the side of the hill behind your house. There's no excuse. Um, we don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to exercise. We all have time to exercise. So what I'd say on that point is start, start now in anticipation of that tag. That's just one real world experience of how you can prevent injury three months from now because you, you started too hard and too fast. Uh, maybe by the time you get to the point where that tag, you know that you have that tag, you've got a couple of months in between, maybe your archery tag. By that time, now you can actually put a backpack on with 50 pounds in it and, and, and hike in the hills with your bow on it, you know, and actually do a real world scenario. But you shouldn't be doing that for the first time three months from now and expect not to have some kind of neck or shoulder problem uh, come August or September. Uh, one other thing I would say with the, just the earlier conversation, um, I share this with my patients a lot of just life, life is about habits. Um, trying to find uh, the right habit is basically what it comes down to. You're either in the habit of doing something or not doing it. And I think that's, I guess it's just something I realized years ago is you don't think of not doing something as a habit, but it is. If you're, you have a habit of sitting on the couch watching a program at seven o'clock every night, that is a habit. You don't think of it as a habit, but it is. It's a habit of not exercising or not being active. So in, you know, another word of advice is just put that exercise into something that you already do, something that's already a ritual thing that you do. And maybe that kickstarts you into making a better lifestyle choice instead of getting that gym membership. And then it's two months later and you've gone, gone twice, start doing something at home around something that you already do. Start there, build something, and the, the F's is, I've I, I never actually have heard that. I think that's a great, that's a great succession. Um, but another emot- motivator, how do you get motivated? How do you get motivated to get to the next level? Feel, when you start feeling better, when you're not getting up in the morning and your back's so stiff that you, you, get, you know, it takes you the first hour to even get going. So I think that also, feeling better is a big motivator to get to that next level too. If you can start small, work some, some things into your routines, and you actually start, feeling better on a daily basis, that's going to snowball into better habits. And before you know it, you're going to be going down that path. I like that. Yeah. The, the F's, they represent discipline, right? And we say discipline equals freedom. And the way I think of it is, um, in fact, this is going, this is a logo that I'm having an artist work on for Pandola, our new logo. And it's, it's, uh, the glutes are your roots. So you have 
um, somebody who's kind of symbolic, looking almost like a tree with their feet rooted into the ground, representing stability, right? Then overhead, the person has one clenched fist, and that represents those Fs, right? Equaling discipline, though, with that clenched fist. The other hand is reaching up and open, and that equals the freedom. The freedom to grab onto that next rung in the ladder, the next rung towards your goals. That's what progression is about. You have to have that free hand to grab that next rung, but if you don't have the discipline, you don't have the ability to free up that other hand, so you can never climb, right? And so my analogy there goes back to, if I could give you a magic pill, and I could say, look, take this pill, and you're gonna be healthy, you're gonna be strong, you're gonna be financially free, all of these things are gonna happen for you, just take this pill, right? Would you wanna take that pill, right? And I think if you do wanna take that pill, that's really unfortunate, because you're missing the process. And you know, you talk about people who have success. Well, I don't really believe in overnight success. There are the Kelly Clarksons of the world, like you mentioned, but I still believe she was practicing in her shower for years. Oh yeah, she's very talented. I don't want the people to get the misconception. I was no, just she got saying, a break. Is what you're saying? Okay, yeah, she but, got a break. But you right, but she still put in she was the still discipline. Bad she put it in the time. And uh, you know, anybody that I found to be successful, there's years and years and years behind that. And I believe a lot of it does start with sport. That's why I believe in being an athletic trainer, right? And I, do, I don't think that that process should be skipped. And I think you should enjoy that process as much as you can and find the, the, the success through that discipline and be able to really see the 1%. That's why I talk about 1%. You know, every day, how did you get 1% better? Just 1%, don't make it overwhelming. You know, Clint said two or three movements, right? Don't make it five to 10 movements, right? Don't make it overwhelming. 1% is getting your two to three movements done. 1% is getting your walk in, right? But when I say the magic pill, I talk to people all the time where I give them the same advice and where they go, they go do hill repeats, they go do hill sprints, they try to run for, uh, you know, 30 minutes their first day. And then they say, well, I can't run because running's bad for my knees because that just kills my knees. No, running wrong is bad for your knees, right? Or lifting wrong is bad for your body, right? Or, or you know, making the wrong financial uh, commitments is, is wrong for your future, right? Because you didn't put in the work to understand how those finances need to be need to go right what you need to really invest in for example so it's you know it all roots back to the same thing that you have uh i say you have maybe two or three things a day that you're really focused on right um and i like three things in general because now you have options but if you got at least one of those things done you've definitely worked you've gotten one percent better Right. So, you know, stick to two or three things a day. Don't make it overwhelming, but start with one percent and keep uh, progressing in that process to your success and understanding that there's going to be setbacks. It's not easy. You you don't necessarily want to get up and walk in the morning, but you do it and you get your foot out the door. And after you've been walking for a few minutes, you're already glad you did it and you get yourself out of that fog. I mean, people are spending what? three hours a day on their phones between texting and Facebook and Instagram and those kind of things. Another 
three hours a day of the statistically, I think is correct with watching. Uh, well, again, it could be on your iPad, but watching Netflix, whatever it is. And all that decompression or all of that time, you know, watching your favorite Netflix shows. Look, I watch Netflix too, but the idea I think is that when you feel really good about what you're accomplishing every day and you're working on something as simple as nasal breathing and you're getting more parasympathetic that way and you're getting your body into a, a, a better homeostasis, right? So you're, you're giving your body a chance to really recover, respond, repair, to not just you know uh, training, but just to life. You feel better. You don't feel like you have to watch, you know, TV for an hour and a half and just zone out the whole time. Right. And I'm not, you know, coming down on anybody who has those kind of habits, but I think that you can do better. I think that that you can find more reward out there because, you know, what you're watching is fictional. Right. Um, what what you're doing there is escaping. But what are you escaping? Right. Um, I think spend more time on you, spend more time on improving you and you're going to find yourself now journaling uh, instead of watching an extra show, you're going to find yourself uh, planning out your next day and how you can be 1% better. And don't get me wrong, I, I watch probably a movie a week at least, right, where I definitely take time to decompress. But I've accomplished the things I want to accomplish, and I set that time aside for myself to decompress in that way. That's great. I just think we spend so much time sitting already in our desk jockey, desk jockey jobs, and it just feels easy to go home and sit again, right? So. And, and I think another part of what you're saying is that the, the falsehood that today's um, ability to see other people and know what everybody else is doing by the push of a button or to like a picture or to swipe left or whatever, you know, you got your, you, you have the ability to see somebody achieving something or so-called achieving something. And nobody knows if it's real. Nobody knows exactly what's going on in somebody's life. It's so easy to look at like Instagram and go, man, these guys are just, they're just got it so good. And it's just so, and that's the wrong kind of mentality. The right kind of mentality is if you're going to choose to look at Instagram and see somebody posting their successes, um, it's easy to be that person that goes, man, I'm not achieving that much. I'm going to turn this off for a while. I'm going to get down. I, I, I choose to look at it of trying to find motivation in the littlest things. I'm a self-starter. I don't need somebody to tell me to get up and get going. And I'm thankful to have that mentality, whether it was my mom and dad that bred that, my coaches, my my upbringing and discipline and athletics. I'm thankful and humbled by my, my ability to be a self-starter. But that does not mean that I don't find motivation in tons of different ways. I don't need to watch Rocky three or four to get motivated. I can get motivated by a cooking show. I can get motivated by eight-year-olds in an MMA class yesterday. I can get motivated in seeing Bill come into the gym at 90 and do the things that he's doing. I can get motivated in ways that I choose to be motivated in. And I think that that is a discipline in life of find your motivation, know what you're, you know, find your why, and then keep finding different things that are going to keep you motivated to keep doing. My breathing feels better. I'm having less headaches. I'm going to keep going. Like Clint said, it's those little things that might make you feel better that make you go, man, I'm gonna go to the next level. Now I am going to go out and, and, and get on a rowing team and maybe row or get on a, 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 a bowling league and, and go get competitive again for a little bit. There's little things in life that make it. So in today's talk about you only get one body the logo that you're working on of reaching for that next rung is awesome. I heard it one time before this, but if you think about the pegs in the wall 
And if you're not ready, if you don't have clear vision to really get that next peg in that hole or reach for uh, with an open hand to that next rung of that ladder, there's Lil Wayne rap. And I know you guys probably don't listen to a lot of Lil Wayne. I know Clint probably does it. But Lil Wayne talks about, you better get a rocket ship to get to my level. You better find a taller ladder to get to my level. Now, that doesn't mean arrogance. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, you know, getting in a position to look down on people or to be condescending. That's a mentality. Right. I am going to, I am at a, a, a different level. I feel better about myself. I found motivation. I got to here. Now I'm going to here, making it better for us every day. It, it sounds simple. It's easy for me to get on this microphone and talk about it. I live my life like that. I get up out of bed, whether it's four hours of sleep or I get a healthy seven or eight hours of sleep. I get out of bed ready to kick ass every day. Doesn't mean that I don't get down. Doesn't mean that I might not get a little bit depressed over little things or I might get anxiety about something once in a while. But I swear to God on my dad's grave that my ability to get over things like that, little anxiety, is done through breathing. A little bit of my style of meditation. Going out and jump rope and outside with the sunshine. Getting a little bit more vitamin D into my bald head. There's little things that I have found that motivate me that have let me alleviate problems. Do I want to yell right now? Yeah, I do. I want to just light into this dude, but I'm not. I'm choosing to go about it in different ways. And it's all because of that mentality of self-start, willingness to find motivation and willingness to learn and be a sponge every day when you don't have to. I don't have to listen to your speech, Matt, to know uh, or to be better at my next business deal, but I know inside that it's going to make me better in my next business deal because I took the time to sit there and respect your thoughts and, and, and understand that your way of life might be different than mine. Your ideologies, your upbringing might be different than mine, but I just took out those four F's equal that F and I'm like, that's freaking awesome. I should say another word that starts with an F. That's awesome, <laughs> but I'm not going to. But I find little motivators in my life every day that keep me going. You know what? You only get one time around this freaking uh, in, in, in this life. Hopefully you get a lot of times around the sun. I'm on my 45th time around the ball of sun. And I love it more and more every day. Do you ever get tired of hunting? You're doing it for a job. Do you ever get worn out? Hell no. I'm looking more forward to this duck season than I've ever looked forward to in another duck season my entire existence on earth. And that's awesome. It might be the worst season I've ever had. This last season was a tough season to go through. You're a coyote hunter. It was tough coyote season, Clint. I'm so fired up and excited about it because I love life. I love what the season brings. I love the challenges. I love the downfalls, the pitfalls. I love the successes and reaching for that next rung on that ladder. So if anybody takes anything out of today's talk, that theme right there is enough to go, oh my God, I only got one body. I only got one life. I'm going to make the most of it. I got one clinched fist because I'm disciplined. I got one fist clinched because I'm disciplined and I'm reaching for that next rung. Nobody better take that idea from Matt and we're going to have freaking problems. We're going to sick Joey Gilbert on you in a law room. You understand me? I'll make sure that this doesn't release until that thing's all trademarked and patented and everything else. But guys, find motivation and understand that you can prevent injury. You can prevent What's the word where you become a potato? What's that word? Sol not solidarity, but just like where you're just uh, 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 just sitting there. You know what I mean? Like, what's the word guys? Clint, come on. There's a word that where you become a couch potato, your body goes into a state of what? What's that state where you cannot move? You can't get your body to activate. You can't, there's a word. It happens to all of us. It, it's, 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 uh, 
Come on, Matt. You guys well, are. I just think the word static. I don't know if that's what is you're it static is homeostasis. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know what you're looking for. See, here I go again, trying to compete with the with the nerds over here and trying to come up with a big word. But there is there. There's a way to get your body moving every day, right? right? We can move. We can do things. I don't know if we really got into preventative preventative injury. You know, the preventative sciences of of alleviating injury that much today. And I think we need to in a podcast, but go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I just, quick reference. Of course, I have to say that if you go to Pendola Training, my website, www.pendolatraining.com, on there we do have Vimeo um, videos that are free, and we set those up for our Max 40 uh, seminars, which, of course, we've talked about before on this podcast. And um, so there's there's exercises there that we've been talking about today, things that are going to mobilize you and activate you and be able to work on the, your accessory strength to enable your positions a little bit better. And that's a good starting point. And of course, from there, if you wanted to look at future videos that mostly my wife does, and you can always order videos, right? But there's other avenues there. If you um, have difficulty because maybe your problem has been pretty chronic for a long time and it's not going to be as simple as doing a few movements then you see an expert you know you go see a guy like clint you go find a pt invest in yourself a little bit it's crazy to me what people will spend money on and then say oh i don't have i didn't have the money to to see a pt or something like that and then of course you know you can do some research i always suggest athlean x jeff cavalier he was a pt that's also a strength coach and he has really good content so if something specific you're saying yeah my lower back's killing me you can literally type in lower back pain athlean x and there's going to be videos that pop up and you can try those things that are a little bit more specific to your lower back so he's a great resource even for me i i watch uh, his videos i'm one of his members um and so you know we all we all have to kind of look at what resources we have so even if your budget's a little bit more limited well that's free and you just have to do a little bit more research on your own but uh, I'll just finish with fail forward, guys, right? You're, like, it's not people, you asked me before if I look at people and, and uh, you know, think uh, or make certain judgments about them because of the way they're walking or because, you know, they may be overweight or those kind of things. And, and that's not what I think. I feel empathy. And uh, I think to myself, geez, you know, there's somebody who really needs help. But if you think that my life has just been climbing one rung to the other, just one step after the other without ever slipping and failing and falling, no, right? There's been lots of fails. There's been lots of things that I've had to go through to make sure that I could get to that next rung, but I fail forward. And that's kind of what I tell my athletes a lot is just, if you learn to fail forward and you take those things that uh, maybe you tried and didn't succeed right away, but you learn from it, you're proactive about it, you learn the movements you need to do, or you learn the mindset you need to have, you learn more about the nutrition you need to have, or whatever it's going to be, that's failing forward. And that's, we, we fail forward more often than not. And as long as we're doing that, we're still going to get there. Not fall forward. Fail, fail forward. forward. Yeah, I like that too. Forward. Clint, do you have anything to add to the conclusion of this awesome conversation? There will be more. I think we touched on some cool things today, and I, I, I want to 
dive even deeper into some of them. And I know Matt will come up with some ideas. Clint will come up with some ideas, but I truly feel this is beneficial to the listener. And I think that it's advice that's being given out by experts that's free. So it's, it's crazy not to, to be a sponge and take it in. Clint, you got anything to end on? Uh, only one thing. The sun is a star. And I would not try to one-up you guys on the end. You guys finished it out perfect. Thanks for having me. The sun is a star? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was It's a not a big ball. ball. Of, I thought it was a big ball of fire. <laughs> Did you learn that in PT school? <laughs> guys, get rooted. Get your asses in shape. Get that glutamus maximus tight in. Walk straight. Get a long spine. Pull yourself up with that puppet string Clint was talking about. Be an athlete. Even if you never played sports, become an athlete right now. And, uh, and, and pay attention to what these guys are saying. Clint um, has a, a master's degree. He, I'll brag on him. He graduated first in his master's class at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. He didn't have to pay a dime for his education because of his ability to play sports and his ability to study and hit the books and be dedicated and focused. He was uh, awarded a master's degree in physical therapy on behalf of the state of Nevada, University of Nevada, Las Vegas college program. They paid for it because they wanted him in their program. So that's a feat in itself right there. I'm proud that he's my brother. I'm proud to know Matt Pendola and have him as one of my best friends and mentors in life. PendolaTraining.com at Pendola Project on Instagram. Follow him. He's got 12 athletes that just qualified for regionals. The most ever out of his gym. 12 freaking athletes in swimming and track and field are going to the regional championships and he's not going to stop there. So pay, stay up to date with Matt Pendola. PendolaTraining.com at Pendola Project on Instagram. And remember to support the partners that support us. And today was brought to you by the North American Whitetail Championships. Get signed up at NAWTC.com. Rigid Industries, all of their lights, they keep everything that we do in the light. They let us stay focused and they let us stay lit up, boys. That's what life is all about. Finding that motivation to light yourself up and stay lit up and do it naturally. Stay high on life, guys. We truly believe that. Deemer Box, thank you so much for the support. And last but not least, Elk Ridge Evolution. Their knives keep us sharp, whether we're butchering, processing, or in the kitchen cooking our wild game or our grass-fed beef, all of our proteins and vegetables and the clean diets that we're trying to sustain on a daily basis. Guys, Elk Ridge, thank you very much for everything. Chad Belding, this life ain't for everybody. We are humbled by the success and the growth of the podcast. Tom Rashishin, thank you for being such an awesome producer. Thank you, Clay and Tyson and everybody behind the scenes that help us with the foul life and all of our different brands. Tom, go ahead and hit that button. Leith Lofton, a.k.a. Haas. What you gonna do when the money's all gone? won't last that long. What you gonna do when the money's all gone?